All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I'm catching you up with days two, three, and four of Falcons training camp over the weekend, including a new and improved Hayden Hurst and how that could help improve this Falcons offense in 2021. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FalFans.com. RIP, still going strong, however, on Twitter at FalFans. And, of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode is somewhat catching you up with the weekend's training camp Falcons news and uh, talk mostly about the roster moves that the Falcons made. They added two players in wide receiver, Jamon Moore and outside linebacker, Tuzar Skipper over the weekend. And we'll talk about what those guys can do uh, in terms of enhancing uh, various competitions at those positions. And then we'll sort of focus the brunt of today's conversation talking about Hayden Hurst, the lost weight that he had, what it means for his outlook this upcoming season, as well as this Falcons offense entirely, and if whether or not him and Kyle Pitts can sort of be this dominant one-two punch at the tight end position uh, as part of a big part of Arthur Smith's offense this upcoming season. And obviously a lot more things happened over the weekend on uh, in terms of Falcons training camp and other topics that we could get on in on tomorrow's on today's episode. But I do want to touch upon those on future episodes because I'm going to have some guests coming up uh, over the course of this week that have been there on hand on training camp and sort of want to focus in on those storylines with those guys and, and those people that have directed observed them as opposed to on today's episode. But uh, before we get into today's episode, focusing on the Falcons two roster moves, as well as Hayden Hurst, I do want to plug the Peacock and Williamson podcast, one of the national shows here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, where you get insights on every team, every game, every move from NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson. Find the Peacock and Williamson podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So moving into Falcons news, they made two transactions over the weekend to fill the three uh, spots opened up from the uh, Falcon players that they put on the pup list or the physically unable to perform list. The two players that they added were wide receiver Jamon Moore and outside linebacker Tuzar Skipper. It is notable that it, it does seem to suggest that Caleb McGarry is going to be back sooner rather than later. If you're trying to read between the lines of these roster moves, uh, given what Arthur Smith told the media last week about McGarry's return from injury, you know, Smith said that both Matt Gano and Deidre Sinat would miss the entirety of camp with their various injuries as they are on the pup list. Uh, meaning that the team should have virtually no qualms, you know, adding the two called the two so-called camp bodies uh, using air quotes uh, in the meantime in guys like Moore and Skipper. But if McGarry is poised to come back soon, like say within a week, uh, then adding a third player that's going to, you're going to have to wind up cutting, you know, only after a few days of practice may not seem worthwhile. So we'll see if McGarry does wind up being on that sort of timeline, but trying to read in between the lines, you know, it does seem like if McGarry was poised to miss like two weeks or so, then you would probably be willing to sign somebody because that would at least give you three, the first preseason game um, to evaluate that player. But 
on Moore and Skipper, Moore was a former fourth round pick of the Green Bay Packers in 2018. Never quite lived up to expectations there. The feedback I got from Locked On Packers host Peter Bukowski was that Moore struggled with drops and fumbles. Never really got on the same page with Aaron Rodgers. I remember reading an article uh, coming out after Moore's rookie season where he, str- he admitted that he struggled adjusting to sort of the speed of the game mentally. And that's led to his disappointing rookie season as a rookie he only played about 74 snaps on offense and predominantly played on special teams that year where he served as a gunner on a punt team which is an avenue that he could help enhance his chances of um, distinguishing himself within the Falcons wide receiver competition given that several of the other backup wide receivers on the roster that he would be competing for opportunities lack experience as gunner on a punt team so We'll see how that plays out for more, but he was cut by the Packers the following summer in 2019, picked up by the Browns on the practice squad that year, then spent 2020 on the Houston Texans practice squad before the Falcons wind up getting him. He brings size, athleticism, so there certainly is talent, but it's not necessarily a promising sign that you're now in year four and you haven't really seen that talent realized. Longtime listeners know that I don't particularly get too enamored with reclamation projects. So, you know, I would appear that Moore is probably not going to be this untapped potential that you're going to sort of get fourth round value out of him moving forward. But in terms of being a practice squad player, that if he flashes enough this summer, you know, could wind up competing for a practice squad spot and his experience on special teams, you know, when you're talking about being the fifth or sixth wide receiver on the depth chart, you know, that's kind of what you're looking for in that position. As for Skipper, he was a training camp slash preseason superstar as an undrafted free agent out of Toledo back in 2019 with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He had five sacks according to pro football focus. And that was tied for the most in the NFL that summer his 13 pressures were tied for third most in pro football focuses metrics uh, the Steelers were so deep however at that outside linebacker position that he didn't even make it the roster despite dominating in the preseason and I know for Falcon fans and myself included listening to that like you had a guy that was one of the most dominant pass rushers in training camp and you didn't keep him on your roster how much talent at the outside linebacker position do you have Falcons wish they had that but you know he wound up getting cut by the Steelers the Giants scooped him off of waivers he wound up playing a little bit for the Giants. He had a half a sack that season uh, in limited action, wound up back with the Steelers by year's end, but once again was cut in the summer of 2020 before landing with the Titans on their practice squad and getting some late season action in 2020, uh, mostly on special teams for them. So because of Skipper's history of wrecking guys in the preseason, he's certainly, I think, a guy to keep an eye on. We already had sort of quote-unquote camp bodies in uh, Sharif Miller and, and Georgia been at that outside linebacker spot that are competing for some maybe some back in roster spots or primarily a practice squad spot. So I think Skipper is probably in that mix, but given the absence of Dante Fowler, at least early in camp due to COVID-19, you know, it does give some of these edge rushers uh, some added opportunities to impress. And we'll see if Skipper can take advantage of that. As I talked about in the edge rush uh, camp preview a few weeks ago on the podcast, the Falcons, probably aren't really looking for these guys like the skippers to really impact this season. Um, but anybody that can flash enough upside might be worthwhile practice squad stash for 2022, given that you'll likely see the Falcons revamp their edge rusher group, you know, outside linebacker group uh, this upcoming off season. And so anybody that can sort of establish themselves as Hey, this guy's got some talent, you know, could help offset that, or at least give themselves a, a leg up into next year. If in, when we see some new faces there. So we'll see if those guys are quote unquote camp bodies or whether or not they have a legit chance of sticking on the roster or practice squad, but we'll turn the rest of today's episode to someone that is not 
definitely a camp body, but emphasis on the body because in Hayden Hurst, you know, he dropped over 15 pounds and that means something for his outlook. And we'll get into that. We'll talk about his tag teaming with Kyle Pitts uh, and you know whether that offers something unique and special for the Falcons to build their offense around for this upcoming season. But speaking of unique and special, how about that major league baseball trade deadline? Found out the latest on the moves, your favorite MLB team did or did not make this past weekend ahead of the final stretch of the MLB season by checking out your favorite shows, daily podcasts here on the lockdown podcast network, your team every day, find them all, including lockdown Braves on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, did you know that built bar, which is the best tasting protein bar on the market has nine delicious flavors, whether you're a fan of mint brownie cookies and cream, cherry, barcia, double chocolate, salted caramel, coconut, raspberry, orange, or strawberry. There's something for everyone. You can try them all with a mix box. And you'll want to to get that healthy snack that tastes just like a candy bar with none of the guilt. Built Bars contain 100% real chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. And it's not just about their great taste. They're healthy, too. They're low in sugar and calories, high in protein and fiber, which is very much unlike a candy bar, but it tastes just like one. Just head over to the website at built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. So we learned over the weekend that Hayden Hurst on Friday and specifically that Hayden Hurst dropped some weight this offseason, you know, apparently from 268 to 251. And the idea that Hayden Hurst was nearly playing at close to 270 is astounding to me. Um, I would love to go back and check the film, but alas, I cannot shout out to Game Pass. Um, but, you know, I imagine he bulked up that way as a holdover from his Ravens days. Um, and, you know, that strongly signals that the Falcons are asking Hayden Hurst to make more of his presence as a pass catcher and receiver than it is as a blocker moving forward. And you couple that with the Falcons expectation that they're going to be featuring two tight end sets or that 12 personnel quite a bit this season. You know that they're going to throw the ball to the tight end quite a bit. It's going to be a featured part of this passing attack and as a constant warrior and that means someone who worries, not someone who fights in wars. Uh, you know, this, there does give me some pause that Hayden Hurst at a lighter weight is going to make his blocking less effective, uh, than before. And he already was not a particularly effective blocker, uh, presumably at that bigger weight. And you already have issues with Kyle Pitts there. Um, so it does give me concerns about the run game and the run blocking, particularly when you already have issues, particularly on the interior of the offensive line, given the question marks there, as well as right tackle with Jalen Mayfield in the mix to start there, pushing Kayla McGarry and whatnot. So, uh, that's my usual worrying self, but, you know, let's leave the worries aside and let's talk about some of the pros of this and what it particularly means to the passing game in, in terms of Hurst and Pitts there. You know, we've seen this offseason on Twitter, Hayden Hurst tweeting, you know, begging for the chance, pleading for the opportunity to be used more as a vertical stretch threat at the tight end position. And you wonder if he'll get that opportunity, great, greater opportunities there given his weight loss. And I've said on the podcast several times before that I think, Hayden Hurst's vertical stretch capabilities downfield uh, threat um, is a little bit overstated, a little bit overrated. You know, is he more of a vertical threat than Austin Hooper was? Sure. But I still think the primarily the best usage of Hayden Hurst has always been more in the vein of what Hooper was, which is more of an underneath and intermediate target. 
And I know this uh, is a hot take to many, um, but I thought one of the few things that Dirk Cutter did get right last year in terms of offense was how he utilized Hayden Hurst for much of the season. It wasn't perfect by any means, but most of my complaints in that regard were mostly nitpicks. You know, the Falcons tried to use him early in the season as more of a vertical threat. And then, you know, about a month into the season realized that that wasn't working and switched to him being a lot more uh, of an underneath threat and being utilized to, to try to create more after the catch. And you saw his production improve significantly in those games, except for in the games where Julio Jones was out of the lineup and, as a reminder, that was a very weird development last year. Hurst production until that final month of the regular season was literally night and day different based entirely off of Julio Jones's presence in the lineup. When Julio was healthy and playing um, through at least week 14, you know, Hurst averaged about seven targets a game, caught about 70% of those targets, averaged about 11.5 yards per reception, had three touchdowns, and Matt Ryan's passer rating when targeting Hayden Hurst in those seven-ish games was about 108. But when Julio was out of the lineup for roughly five of those first 13 games, you know, Hurst averaged less than five targets a game, caught just 42% of his targets, averaged 9.6 yards per reception, had one touchdown, two interceptions, and that gave Matt Ryan a passer rating of 33 when he targeted Hayden Hurst uh, during that stretch. So that's a 70-point passer rating swing for Matt Ryan when targeting the guy that is supposed to be his number three option in the offense. And that was one of the concerns I had with the impending loss of Austin Hooper last offseason in that we saw, particularly in 2019, in games where Julio or Ridley were nicked up, Hooper was still a reliable and productive part of the Falcons' offense, given the rapport that he and Matt Ryan had built over the previous you know, three-plus years. And that was one of the things... You know, I kept insisting the folks a year ago uh, when in regards to Hearst, uh, when, you know, I think the narrative tend to be, you know, talking up Hearst athleticism and being a a completely different tight end than what Matt Ryan has ever played with before. And I kept insisting while watching the film, which I won't be able to do nowadays. Shout out to Game Pass. Um, You know, Hearst's game was more like Austin Hooper's, uh, which is, you know, he's going to be a guy that's going to rely heavily on his ability to build that report with his quarterback and that's why you know I was kind of pumping the brakes a little bit with the Hayden Hurst hype going into the season and you know I think that not building rapport with his quarterbacks was directly responsible for why he didn't have as much success in Baltimore. You know, you go back to his rookie season where he was expected to be the starter as their first round pick in 2018. And he didn't build that rapport with Joe Flacco, who began that season as a starting quarterback in large part due to Hayden Hurst missing time due to injuries early that season. And then the Ravens made the switch to Lamar Jackson, who had spent the bulk of the summer working with Mark Andrews on the second team offense. And, Jackson and Andrews had that sort of connection and Andrews wound up being more of that vertical threat uh, that, you know, I think Hayden Hurst wants to be and, or, you know, people want Hayden Hurst to be. And so that pre 2020 hype, you know, I think with Hurst kind of got out of hand uh, by years in to such a degree that I think a a larger contingent, I was surprised to see a, a fairly large contingent of Falcon fans, you know, consider Hayden Hurst to be a bigger disappointment in 2020 than Todd Gurley or Dante Fowler or Tack McKinley were, uh, which, you know, was shocking to me. 
you know, that's all about expectations because there was so high a, a amount of expectations uh, for a player like Hearst. Um, and uh, Hearst wound up meeting my expectations uh, based off of my assessment of where he would be last year for the most part. Um, and, you know, I don't like to be reductive, as you guys know, but you, you could make a fairly easy argument that, you know, in addition to Julio Jones's absence, you know, last season, the second biggest factor for why the Falcons often struggled for large chunks of the season was not having that reliable secondary option in Austin Hooper, that you can make the argument that losing Austin Hooper had a significantly detrimental impact on the Falcons offense last year, because Matt Ryan and Hayden Hurst just simply didn't pick up where him and Hooper left. Because again, it takes time. We saw it with Hooper. It takes time to build that sort of rapport and trust with your quarterback. But the positive for the Falcons was that that all seemingly changed in the final three games. We did start to see Hayden Hurst and Matt Ryan seem to get on the same page in those games. In those games with Julio out of the lineup, Hurst's production looked a lot more like what his production looked like with Julio in the lineup from earlier in the season where he got about on average, about six targets in those last three games. He caught about 76% of his targets averaged 7.4 yards per reception and had three touchdowns and Ryan's passer rating when targeting Hurst in those three games was 129. And so for most of 2020, when Julio was in the lineup, Matt Ryan was putting up efficiency numbers that made him look like a top 10 and, and certainly a top seven quarterback. And then, you know, when Julio was out of the lineup, except for those last three games, Matt Ryan's efficiency numbers made him in the mix to be the worst quarterback in the NFL down there with efficiencies uh, alongside players like Dwayne Haskins and, and Carson Wentz. Um, but in those final three games, you saw Matt Ryan sort of efficiency rebound and looking like that top 10 quarterback. And so that's the hope that I think a lot of people are pinning their hopes to in terms of what the Falcons offense can be more like the final three weeks of the season. Uh, now that Julio Jones is gone versus what they were for the first, you know, 13 weeks of the season moving forward. So obviously we're living in that post Julio Jones world and, you know, it's going to be important to see, who steps up to be that reliable second and third option beyond Calvin Ridley. And obviously Kyle Pitts has a lot of pressure on him. Russell Gage has some pressure on him. And we'll talk about sort of the pressure that Hayden Hurst has on him uh, alongside those other guys. And as we explore that further, I want to talk more about how the Falcons can utilize their tight ends in addition to their other weapons on offense and whether that opens up sort of a brand new unexplored avenue for this offense and, and be a catalyst for the success moving forward. But you know what's a catalyst for my success every day? That's the Locked On Today podcast where host Peter Bukowski gives me all the sports news I need every morning in under 20 minutes. Start off your successful day by being locked on today. Find it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. So bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet online gives you the latest news, odds and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NFL, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action. And there's no time like now to get started at bet online. UFC 265 is right around the corner. You got the summer Olympics ongoing college football is coming up later this month. And of course, baseball season still is in full swing and you can track all the action at bet online, get real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine, including Arthur Smith chances of winning coach of the year Matt Ryan's MVP odds and Kyle Pitts is winning the offensive rookie of the year as well as the over under betting odds on how many yards and touchdowns you'll see from Falcons like Matt Ryan Mike Davis Calvin Ridley Kyle Pitts and Russell Gage to 
get in on that action, just head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today at betonline.ag. Use the promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now, if you listen to my tight end training camp preview, I compared the Pitts Hurst combo to both the Browns and Eagles tight end combos when trying to project what their projection could be this upcoming season. In the Eagles, in Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard, they feature a tight end duo that is probably more central part of their passing attack, and they form sort of the core one two punch uh, compared to players like Hits and and Perth. Hits and Perth. Pits and Hurst. Uh, But what I noted on that previous episode was that part of the reason why Ertz and Goddard are so productive is how weak that team has been at the wide receiver position, particularly the last couple of years, thanks to injuries and whatnot. And instead, I like the comparison more to the Browns uh, combo of wide receivers, their trio of wide receivers last year under Kevin Stefanski, because that's an offense that utilized more multi-tight end sets than even Arthur Smith did last year. And they also have capable wide receivers in Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. And the hope is that that's more similar to what the Falcons will be featuring this upcoming season with Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage. So for those of you that missed that episode, you know, I noted in the first six games of the Brown season when OBJ was healthy, you know, the Browns trio of Austin Hooper, Harrison Bryant and David Njoku combined for about 29% of all of Baker Mayfield's uh, targets in those first six games. And, and that would figure to be a, relatively healthy percentage for Pitts and Hurst to sort of have in terms of Matt Ryan's target share. And that worked out, you know, give or take a a few, a dozen or so uh, to be about 180 uh, combined targets for Hurst and Pitts this upcoming season, depending on how many pass attempts you think Matt Ryan will have somewhere in the 600 plus range, uh, 620, 660, somewhere in that range. Um, And so I kind of use that figure as a means to sort of uh, project if, you know, Kyle Pitts will put up that sort of historic production based off of that target share and whether we'll see him match or exceed the production that Jeremy Shockey had during his rookie season all the way back in 2002 when he had 74 catches and nearly 900 yards receiving. Um, But the conclusion I also had in that episode was that Hurst probably won't see a significant increase in his targets from a year ago. So probably something again in that 80 to 90 target range, but hopefully thanks to sort of having and establishing that rapport that he built with Matt Ryan at the end of last season in those final games of 2020, maybe you will see him be more productive with that same workload. And instead of having 56 catches this year, you'll see maybe like 65 or even 70 catches this year from Hayden Hurst, given a similar sort of workload, given that you're not going to see as many games or stretches of games where he's only catching about 40% of his targets. Like we saw last year, as I just broke down, you know, as an aside, that's one of the reasons why I have a problem with some of the catch all that I feel like a lot of people do uh, have been doing for months this offseason, sort of blaming all of the Falcons problems on dirt cutters play calling last year, where it's like play calling isn't the reason why your tight end goes from catching 70% of his passes to 40% of the passes that's on the tight end. Um, but we've talked about in the past how, you know, one of the elements that we're losing in 
Julio Jones departure is the big play element. And I've sort of discussed in the past that, you know, Russell Gage and Hayden Hurst have not specifically been guys that have necessarily produced in that arena in terms of generating explosive plays. And so you question how much of the void they'll be able to fill that Julio that you're already losing with Julio. You're not really expecting Calvin Ridley to see a significant impact increase in big plays just because he already was tied for the most 20 plus yard plays a year ago. And so, you know, the expectation is like, he's not going to do better than number one. Right. Um, and then you wonder with Kyle Pitts, even though you do expect him to fill some of that void in order for him to fill, you know, as big a void to basically be this lateral move or only a slight downgrade from Julio Jones in terms of the big play element, you know, he would have to match production on par with guys like Travis Kelsey or George Kittle or Darren Waller and sort of already be as good as those sort of premier established veteran tight ends right from the get-go, which doesn't seem likely. And so that does put a lot of pressure on players like Gage and Hurst to sort of pick up the slack as presumably the Falcons' third and fourth option in some order this upcoming season. And one of the things I'm curious about this upcoming year is if Arthur Smith's play calling in dialing up more play action this year will create those opportunities for those guys uh, much more easily than previous offenses that they've played in. And we've talked about in the past in terms of Smith's success in Tennessee, that a lot of the big play success, the explosive element of their offense seem to rely heavily on Derrick Henry being Derrick Henry or AJ Brown being AJ Brown or Corey Davis and, and other players creating after the catch than necessarily their, their ability to create purely by the design of the play. And so that's going to be the, one of the big questions, uh, lingering questions for me this summer with Arthur Smith's play calling is, can he design an offense that can easily generate big plays? And if you put it on the spectrum on one end of the spectrum, you have like a 2016 Kyle Shanahan and the other end of the spectrum, you could put, a 2017 Sark or even Dirk Cutter and you you go back to that 2017 season with Sark in particular where it became less about the design of the play in terms of generating those big plays and more about the individual player like you know you would have a 14 yard pass to Julio Jones he would turn that into a 23 yard gain after the catch or whatever case may be not because the play was designed to go for 20 plus yards or whatever the case may be or a very uh, obvious example of this, you go to that playoff game in 2017 against the Rams, where late in that game, Sanu had that 52-yard catch that set up the sort of game-sealing touchdown in that game, but that was a screen pass. That was a play where, you know, Sanu caught the ball like three or four yards behind the line of scrimmage, and then, you know, due to uh, a couple of bad angles on the Rams defense, some good blocks, and some, you know, shifty moves from Mohamed Sanu, you know, turned that into a, a big play for the Falcons. Again, a big play for the Falcons, obviously you'll take it, but that wasn't the design of the play. The design of the play was basically to get like five yards on a second and 13 or, or whatever the case may be. And it turned into a 50 plus yard game. So to me, that's going to be the big question where on that spectrum, if Shanahan's on one end of the spectrum and Sark slash cutter, you know, bad Sark, we'll say 2017 Sark um, and cutters on the other end of the session, where does Smith fit on that, on that spectrum? And obviously the closer he is to Shanahan, the better it will be for the Falcons offense. But, you know, part of me remains skeptical when I look at players like Russell Gage and Hayden Hurst. Um, and you can also throw in Mike Davis's ability as a receiver after the catch, something we've touched upon on the podcast as, as well, that you don't have a lot of proven weapons outside of Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts. And again, Kyle Pitts is not proven in that regard. We just see the skill set. Um, and we're sort of, we're even assuming there. Um, 
where you see, you don't see a lot of weapons on this Falcons offense that are proven in terms of generating explosive plays. And even a player like Cordero Patterson, you know, I think a lot of people are excited about to see what he can bring to the offense, you know, has never really been a downfield threat. The only time he was ever really a productive vertical uh, stretch receiver was uh, the one year that Tom Brady was throwing him the ball, which again, for the 7,000th time on this podcast, it always seems like the Patriots, Tom Brady or Bill Belichick are always the exceptions or always the uh, outliers when it comes to this type of stuff. So you can't put too much stock into that, uh, given you have basically, you know, seven, uh, six other years where Cordero Patterson versus that one year uh, not being a threat down the field. And basically most of Patterson's, you know, production as a receiver comes on screens. And so, you know, unless he can basically pull off what we just talked about with Sanu, you know, a lot more consistently than he has in the past, that's not necessarily going to be a reliable way of generating those explosive plays. So for me, one of the questions, you know, I have about this Falcons offense heading into the season, are we going to see an offense that's trying to push the ball down the field a bunch and whether or not they have the personnel to really execute that type of offense versus seemingly having the personnel. And we talk about Arthur Smith talking about adapting his offensive personnel. It seems like the personnel is much more geared to being a dink and dunk offense. Um, and then you couple that with the concerns you have about the running game, you know, will the Falcons try to enhance their dink and dunk and, and supplement their running game with a short passing game. And for those unfamiliar with that concept, it's basically like say on the first and 10, you're trying to keep the offense on schedule. You're trying to get into an advantageous second down. And so ideally you want to get like five or more yards on first and 10. And you can either do that by trying to hand the ball off to your running back. And when you have Derrick Henry, that choice becomes a lot easier. When you have Mike Davis, you wonder about that, or you can turn to sort of a high percentage quick throw, you know, on an, to an underneath receiver in the way that five yards is five yards, whether you get it running the ball or throwing the ball, you know, the ends just sort of justify the means. And that's part of the reason why you hear people say, and I tend to also, you know, ape and echo this sentiment um, in theory is that the running game doesn't matter nearly as much because of stuff like that, where, you know, if you have a non-functioning running game, you can much more easily supplement that with the short passing game. than if the opposite is true and you have a struggling passing game, you're not going to really be breaking off 12 and 18 yard runs uh, in gains on the ground as easily as you can do through the air. And so if you're, if you can't throw the ball, your offense is broken. If you can't run the ball, your offense is not broken, it's bad, but it's, it's, it, it can be salvaged somewhat. And we've seen the Falcons do that pretty much the last couple of years at times, uh, cause we haven't been able to run the ball since 2017, but getting back to Hayden Hurst, uh, since we know that he's an effective underneath an intermediate target in a world where the Falcons are relying on a short passing game a lot more, you know, he could wind up greatly benefiting from that and wind up having the much bigger role in the offense than I previously and currently in sort of envisioning and in an offense, however, where the Falcons are trying to push the ball down the field, I think it's fair to question how much, how big Hayden Hurst's role is going to be in that type of offense. But to be clear, it could also be much bigger than what I'm imagining. And, you know, I'm just saying based off of his body of work so far, you know, that type of role seems to fit Kyle Pitts better than it would seemingly Hayden Hurst. But the final point I'll leave it at is that if Hurst does prove to be a guy that can thrive in that type of offense and you have a one-two punch of having two tight ends that are both high-volume targets and capable of generating explosive plays on a regular basis, that is relatively unheard of in the NFL. With Ertz and Goddard, 
you know, sort of the premier tight end duo in the league, you know, Ertz is not giving you vertical stretchability. He's an underneath sort of chain mover and Goddard gives you a little bit more of that stretchability. Although again, that's not necessarily the, the focus of his game. You have instances of, say, like a Gronk and O.J. Howard last year in Tampa Bay who both showed the ability to to stretch defenses. But, of course, Howard missed most of the season. So it wasn't like you were getting 16 games of that. You were getting like 16 games of that from Gronk and like four of that for, for Howard or, or whatever the case may be. And so my point is, like, if you can get that from both Hurst and Pitts this upcoming season where, you know, we see a, a scenario – where Hurst does emerge as that sort of dynamic downfield tight end that he was hyped up to be and failed to live up to that hype the past three years. If that player finally emerges in 2021 under Arthur Smith and in part due to the weight loss or and being a little bit more quicker and being a little bit more dynamic to bring it full circle, you know, that's a Falcons offense that potentially is relatively unique and potentially special. And that could be wind up being the special sauce that could really help this offense overachieve this upcoming season and be the driving force, but behind a successful 2021. And so that to me is certainly a big topic. I want to explore in terms of what are the sort of special ingredients, the X factors for this Falcon team moving forward. Because one of the things when I listened back to Friday's episode, when we were talking about, Oh no, the offensive line is a problem. No, Oh no, this other, the pass rush is a problem. And like, you know, we spent the better part of the last couple of months, you know, certainly I have, uh, being like, Oh man, like, you know, I'm sad because Julio's gone and like, you know, sulking and, and sort of being skeptical of, of various things. And I want to bring a little bit more enthusiasm back to the show. Um, and saying like, okay, like, this team is not great from a roster standpoint, but there's still some elements of this team that are fun. That even if the team may not overall be an amazing football team, there are still some good parts of this team that we can get excited about. And so I want to sort of flip that narrative and talk a little bit more about those things. And so that includes the one-two punch potential of you know our tight end group. And if Hayden Hurst can be more of the player that he has quote unquote been hyped to be versus the player that he has been in addition to obviously Kyle Pitts living up to the hype that he is now being hyped up to be. And that's going to be a topic of conversation in the coming days as we have some various guests to come on and talk about these things. And of course there were other things that went on over the weekend that I also want to get our guests thoughts on like Quadri Olson emerging as an early favorite to be the RB two is Alameda Zacchaeus an early favorite to be a number three wide receiver and Will he get more opportunities to be featured in the slot where I personally think he is better suited to be than an outside stretch receiver that the Falcons have tried to utilize him these last two years in part due to the absence of Marvin Hall that would have been that guy. You know, we'll talk about Deion Jones having a bounce back season, a player that I have been highly critical of for the last, you know, nine months. And will he, you know, shut me up? Finally, we'll talk about John Kaminsky and Marlon Davidson enhancing the pass rush. We'll talk about whether Austin and Trammell is this sort of the, the Chris Rowland of this summer. And of course we'll get into the offensive line. We've been so busy talking about how this summer's offensive line mirrors the 2015 offensive line by focusing on the end of summer moves that the Falcons made by getting Andrew Levitri and Jake Long and Ben Garland, et cetera, to fix the offensive line because, you know, we're worried about this current group, but you know, the thing that we sort of are glossing over is that we spent most of that summer staring at, 
you know, Mike Person and James Stone being starters that year, replacing guys like Joe Hawley and John Asamoa. And, you know, could we be in a similar situation this summer where we're staring at a Jalen Mayfield replacing Kayla McGarrett right tackle, where we're looking at Drew Dahlman potentially emerging as an option at left guard beyond Josh Andrews, uh, something that we haven't spent a ton of time entertaining in part due to like we've been there, done that with Matt Hennessy last year, not being ideally suited for left guard. Let's not make that mistake again, but maybe Drew Dolman is better suited to play guard than Matt Hennessy was a year ago. So that's something that we can have a conversation about. So I want to get into all those various topics as well as many, many other things with the various guests coming up, you know, on future episodes, tomorrow's episode will feature uh, Kevin Knight of the Falcoholic live to come on and give me his camp observations in addition to his thoughts on some of those topics. So we'll get into all of that. And, um, you know, before we duck out of here on today's episode, guys, I want to let you know uh, about the locked on bets podcast. Betting on football does not have to be a guessing game. If you listen to the locked on bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert, Lee Sterling, get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team, favorite picks and Lee's lock of the day by following the locked on bets podcast brought to you by BetOnline.ag wherever you get your podcasts. So, guys, I appreciate you tuning in. If you have any feedback that you want to provide me, of course, you can hit me up on Twitter at Lockdown Falcons, on Facebook at Lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to LockdownFalcons at mail.com. Appreciate it, guys. Till then.